Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. All right, I welcome you back to your seats. An exciting, interesting, intriguing, mysterious passage awaits us this morning. And so let's ask the Lord that his spirit would help make the most of it. Let's pray together. Father God, now with this intriguing passage, most bizarre, but very beautiful with truths that definitely tell us all about good and evil, about the Lord and the enemy, the adversary of our souls. And so, Father, as we take heed this morning, as we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, as your word declares, give us insight provided by the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some people out there actually enjoy being scared. (laughs) Industries and businesses bank on that crazy fondness that some human beings have. Horror movies, amusement parks, haunted houses. We even have a designated holiday. Uh, We enjoy being scared. Now, last October, I read about one of those haunted houses. And in order for you to enter, you had to have a background check, you had to pass a doctor's physical and a mental evaluation, and sign a 40-page waiver. Uh, No, thank you. No, thank you. I've never really found it fun to be frightened. As a kid, we all have scary memories. One of my scary memories involved a scary place in town there in Boston, Massachusetts, where I did most of my growing up. I used to love to hang out with my cousin, very mischievous young boy. I was 10, he was 13 in those days. Let's call him Robbie because that's his name. Trouble always had a way of finding us, especially if Robbie was around. And so down the road from his house and grandma's house uh, was this historic old cemetery with uh, this old stone church uh, dated back to the 1600s there in Massachusetts, of course. And uh, they had uh, big arched slab tombstones and those... uh, angels, the statues with them staring down, and these big uh, statues of gargoyles that would protect the souls of the dead. And there were all kinds of ghost stories about that place. In fact, uh, I googled online, and I found a picture 
of this actual place that was in our neighborhood. There's a picture of it there. And uh, we would, that was in between the river, the Spigot River, where we used to explore, and Grandma's house. Now, if it was, the sun was setting and we were late, in the twilight, in the dusk, of course, we had to make the decision, are we going to cut through and be on time and cut through the cemetery? And so, of course, oh, Robbie loved this place because he would run behind me howling <laughs> and scaring me. We would pass sometimes open graves, getting ready to put somebody in the ground. And Shirley was saying, I'm going to push you into one of those graves. Or he would say, oh, something's going to pop out of there and jump out of there. Well, yeah, well, I was never so happy to get to the other side and hop that fence. Boy, I didn't even need to climb that fence. I just jumped right over it. Man, and thank you for that slide. Now, in Jesus' time, in a place called Gadara, there was a historic cemetery. And if you ran through it at night, you might be afraid that something or someone would jump up out of some hole in the ground. But you would be right, because somebody would, and his name was Legion. Let's meet him now. As we finish up Matthew 8, I have combined Mark and Luke together to get the fullest, most dramatic impact of this incredible account. Starting in Matthew 8. When he arrived, Jesus at the other side, they had just gone through that horrendous storm, which he had to rebuke the wind and the waves for a reason. When they got to the other side, they were in Gadara. Two men were demon-possessed. They came running from the tombs and met the Lord. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now, one of these in particular, the one that was more dominant, lived in the, the tombs there for a long time. He had not worn any clothes or lived in a house, but he was driven into solitary places. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He would often uh, he was often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. That's a key verse. Until, of course, somebody else came along. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The text continues. When he saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time of judgment day at the end of the age? They know about it. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to the abyss, the holding place. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, Legion, for we are many. Wow. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, and the word really is since you're going to drive us out. Send us into the herd of pigs. He gave them permission, go. 
So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd, about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned in the water. We finish up with these words here. Those tending the pigs, they run off. They go into town and report everything that's gone on, including them about the demon-possessed men, both of them, and the pigs. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Yeah, they're a little curious. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with them. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's shown great mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, it means 10 cities, and it's the region where he's from. He went home to his neighborhood and he started spreading the news, all that Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Yes, indeed, I'm sure they were thoroughly amazed. So we're going to dive in here uh, this morning. Bizarre in modern day Santa Rosa, not so much in modern day Nepal and other third world countries where uh, demons tend to manifest more vividly in areas that have never been Christianized, but in the modern West, they seem to work more subtly, don't want to uh, expose their hand, uh, play their cards on the table, as it were. So the context, of course, two things that are important so that you get the full impact of this incident here. Two things the Holy Spirit is wanting you to keep in mind. One is about discipleship, and two is about the authority of Jesus. One, discipleship. This is the context of the passage, is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ, to be his disciple. And some disciples on the other side of the shore uh, had the wrong idea of what it meant to be a Christian. They thought it was about comfort and convenience, and Jesus had to correct one of them and said, no, there's some cost at walking out this salvation with fear and trembling. Following Christ in the discipleship, what happens when they follow Christ is first a life-threatening storm and now a conflict with spiritual evil. And so what that's telling people, us, is that when you're a Christian, it is quite normal for you to come in contact with crazy storms and also in conflict with evil, but be of good cheer. We are safe in him and for good reason. The second context is the authority of Christ. He has power over everything. And so we've been going down the list. He's been showing authority over sickness, authority over disease, authority over the winds, authority over the waves. The natural elements must submit and now to even powers of darkness. And what the, the big point is, Jesus has been making some pretty mighty claims. He claims to be able to give whoever, he, whoever comes to him eternal life to forgive their sins. And if he's claiming to be the light of the world, that anybody who comes to him will never walk in darkness, then the light of the world should be able to send the powers of darkness uh, fleeing, right? So this is evidence. 
Everything you're reading, the miraculous incidents here, they're all in line with themes to show you this is what being a Christian is about, following Christ. You're going to encounter these kinds of things. And this is the authority of the Son of God who you're following. So no need to fear, even though discipleship is going to be a straight and narrow and tight path filled with some challenges, be of good cheer. The one you're following has authority over everything, and you're safe in him. Jesus' claims are true. His promises are good. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're going to dive in here. We're going to take a look. Uh, Those three paragraphs will serve as our three talking points as we look into this bizarrely beautiful uh, incident here. Number one, note takers, the graphic description. Number two, the dramatic encounter. And number three, the amazing outcome. So we're going to start with the graphic description. And we owe a lot to uh, John Mark, who recorded under the power of the Holy Spirit, and mostly from Peter's uh, uh, perspective as well. And so let's dive in there. You have the verses on the screen there. And so this graphic description of the man who sold himself to the devil, opened his heart, and in they came. And Jesus, who buys his soul back from being taken captive by the devil to do his will. Um, That's what the word redeemer means, to buy back. That's what our Savior does. From darkness, emptiness, following the things of this world, having a life that has no purpose, he buys it back to raise us to new life, to to restore dignity and life and joy, as we see kind of lived out in this very story. And so God created angels to serve him. The angels that kept serving in obedience are called angels. The third of the angels that followed the head angel, Lucifer, light bringer, is what his name means, Uh, The third that followed there are called fallen angels or demons. They are spirits and they can possess as the Holy Spirit can possess. They too can possess as well. And uh, while God possesses us to bring life and joy and peace and blessing, of course, we're going to see what the fruit of being possessed by evil And it will reveal to us, this description, exactly what the devil's heart is like. What is his intention? What makes him tick? Well, you can tell by what happens in in a believer's life who's possessed by the Holy Spirit. You can understand a little bit of the character of God by the behavior of the one who's possessed by that spirit. And so you'll see a moral purity and you'll see goodness, and you'll see compassion, you'll see mercy, and then you could say, oh, that's how God is. If the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then we know this is what God is like. And now take a look at this guy who, yes, it's an extreme case, but by looking at the behavior 
And the result of having that evil oppression in him and through him, we find out what the devil is like, sadly. And for the purpose of staying away from sin and anything dark, lest we have this kind of experience and put ourselves in harm's way. And so we're taking a look at this now. The most detailed detailed description of anybody possessed by demons in the Bible. And so was, uh, well, let's pull some of the descriptions out. He's out of control, right? God comes and we get self-control. And some Christians think to be overwhelmed in some supernatural mystified way where you're out of control, rolling around on the ground in an undignified way, that that's a sign of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, when in actuality, you should be more self-controlled, more dignified, and behaving in a more attractive way in this world as a result of being possessed by God. Thank you. (laughs) Amen. That's good. And so, yes, indeed. So he's living like a wild animal without clothes. He's unkempt, he's filthy, he's malnourished. He lives in the caves there. They used to carve out of the limestone uh, tombs for their deceased. Or they would use natural caves, a perfect place. Unclean by Jewish law, of course, uh, dead bodies and such. Uh, but unclean place for unclean spirits, perfect. They loved their new haunts there for sure. But notice what else. He's isolated. That's what the devil does. He separates. He divides churches. He divides families. He splits up marriages. He's an isolator. Get that guy by himself in some godforsaken, as it were, uh, place there in the country in the boondocks out where there are only corpses. That's the heart of the enemy. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus' description of the evil one. He's crying out. He's cutting himself. He's causing the person to do the devil's work by hurting himself. So he's cutting himself with sharp rocks, making himself bleed. This is the heart of the one who tempts you to sin and to come closer to him. He says, come to me. Just like Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. The devil says, oh yes, come to me and I'll give you pleasure. But see, this is revealed to show you, oh, don't fall for the the call, the seductive deception to call you closer to this. This is where it ends. This is where it ends. So the Bible says, I want to put a fear in my people of all things evil to keep them on the straight and narrow path, walking in the light, not in the darkness, lest you put yourself in harm's way. And, and of course, this is an extreme thing, and people think, you know, wow, I mean, look at this guy. But here's what one writer said. Don't be duped by the devil. He can be at work in a homeless meth addict's life, living in filth and squalor under bushes and bridges. True. While equally busy with the millionaire mogul who's bound in greed and lust and self-righteous pride who appears who appeases his conscience by doing charitable work those under the devil's sway may manifest behavior that's vile evil and ugly or virtuous good and stunningly 
beautiful. After all, he's called the Prince of Darkness, but he's also called the Angel of Light. So, you know, he'll use whatever tool he's, he's got in the shed or whatever you provide him. And the Bible says, please, please do not give him a foothold. And that's exactly what ends up happening. We give him a foothold. By how? By listening to lies and going down the wrong path and, and, and entertaining temptations. Those doors should be slammed shut because this dude is behind all of that. And I'm, why I'm referring when I say dude to the legion, the malevolent forces out there, the, the roaring lion described in 1 Peter 5.8. The roaring lion seeking someone stupid enough and sinful enough and weak enough to let himself or herself be devoured. And we all have friends. And we've all been scratched and nicked and bitten and clawed. Yes, indeed, most of us. But devoured. <laughs> we need to stay away from the lion that prowls about. And so... He's driven from town because they don't know what to do with him, right? Nobody, nobody, they tried. We'll chain the guy up so he can't harm himself or harm other people. You know, now down that road that leads to the cemetery there, uh, no one can pass. First of all, <laughs> no one could pass because he was there. And then after seeing what would happen when they tried to pass that road, nobody wanted to go down that road. But it was a perfect place to ratchet up the fear Fear comes from the devil. Even Christians, you know, the fiery dart of fear, you'll know every time that doesn't ever come from God. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment or humiliation, something that's not coming to the Christian because Christ was punished on our behalf. We have no reason to fear because God is with us. We'll never be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not suffer being put to shame. And so we're covered, but the fear comes in and we get insecure. That's one of his weapons for sure. So he loved to get the guy whooping up all of the, that howling uh, sounds that put fear into people uh, in a 10-mile radius or, or show. And so he's being exposed for the murderer that he is. Jesus called him a murderer. Wow. He's a spiritual, physical murderer. Now, you remember the story in Mark 9 that takes this to a further point. Uh, there's a little boy who would have seizures that Jesus said, this is a demon. And the demon would throw the little boy, a boy, into the fire to burn him or into the water to drown him. That's the heart of the one who says, hey, doesn't she look good? What do you think? I know you're married, but you know, you've been fighting lately and all of this nonsense. I just read this story about a couple who uh, the wife was saving some bones for the dog. So after dinner, she put it in the freezer, uh, some pork chop bones, and she put it in the freezer and told the husband, whatever you do, just don't use the, these bones are for the dog, all right? So one night he comes home, she's not around, he's hungry, he sees the pork chop bones, and he goes, oh, that's, uh, you know, that looks good. So he cooked up the pork chop bones, and she had a fit. 
And they had a huge fight. And though they stopped talking to each other for only about a week. But during that, yeah, only a week. I guess uh, you guys have set some records, apparently. <laughs> you were like, whoa, just a week? <laughs> what kind of fight is that? Uh, but during the week, his secretary bought him a present and said, you look like you're going through it, and gave him a neck rub. No. Yes. <laughs> yes, Michaela. Yes. <laughs> Michaela said, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> you're just going to keep that down. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, it wasn't you? I'm sorry. Who was it? Identify yourself. <laughs> All right. oh. oh, Sheba, thank you. Right? Was it? All right. Oh, oh, no, she didn't. Oh, yes, she did. And you know what happened? They got together, the husband and the masseuse. And you know what happened? He told his wife, she means nothing to me. I was just mad and lonely and hurting. And it, it meant nothing to me. And she divorced him. Really? She divorced him. You know, some people can handle it and they have the grace for it. Praise the Lord for those people. And some people, they can never trust them again. It's over. Sorry. It's not that the person is lacking faith or is immature. You deserve it. You deserve it. And so who do you think was behind the pork chop thing? Who do you think was at work? The devil who takes delight in the demise of a perfectly good marriage. Why did, how did their whole life implode over a pork chop bone? He uses every little thing. So you might start thinking to yourself when you've hardened your heart and you're self-absorbed and you're playing the other one's uh, weaknesses and offenses over and over in your head. You're playing his game. And this is where it leads, to death, to destruction, to humiliation, to kids who visit their father and mother every other summer. Watch out. He wants to ruin your career, your life, your joy, your dignity. He wants to confuse you, make you think you're somebody who God didn't create you to be that way. This is his job. This is his heart. We see it all laid out here, all for the purpose of take Heed the next time something, uh, some temptation comes to you in some beautiful package. And I'm not just talking about the ones we always think about. The ones that we don't think about, those are sometimes the most dangerous. Uh, don't put yourself in harm's way. Keep yourself in the light, man. Keep yourself walking in the light and you will be fine, close to Jesus. Now, the point here is no one can subdue him. It's in your text. No one, because who's stronger than the devil? And then let's move on to the second point, to our power encounter. And we'll see who's more uh, powerful than the evil one. We've read it already, so I'll just kind of paraphrase. 
So the man or the men who are possessed, they beeline it to Jesus, fall on, uh, he, this guy falls on his knees in front of him, the more dominant one shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed judgment day? And so they're going to beg him for a little bit more time and uh, to occupy the pigs. And Jesus has a purpose for that, for which we'll be talking now. And so dramatic indeed, point number two. Is there anything like this in all the Bible? Man, what a story. I remember reading it with sheer delight when I was a first, a first uh, Christian. Uh, maybe in Revelation, there's some bizarre thing that uh, it comes close to this. But I do think it's moving and beautiful and mystifying as well. So let's look at this power play. And, the, and some of the players involved. First of all, I want you to see something new here, probably for you. Let's talk about the man. The man comes flying to Jesus. I say, that's the man. That's the victim. That's the man who wants help. That's the man who has heard about the gospel, knows that there's the God-man out there. He's heard things there. He knows. He's crying out to God because why else would he go be lining to Jesus? Why? There, it makes no sense that the devils would drive him to his would-be liberator and their would-be tormentor. It makes no sense. They would want him to go the other way. So this man, in his heart, given the grace of God, is able to get himself in front of Jesus and, and in his heart, in his victim heart, in the man's heart, he's crying out to God and bows before him. I mean, look at it. Uh, they say, what do you want with us, right? Uh, in other words, Jesus could have said, what do you mean? You came to me. <laughs> you came to me. Does this make sense? They don't want anything to do with him. It's the man. It's the man who wants something to do with Jesus. And God's grace, knowing that, allows him to make it to the presence of the Lord, his liberator. He's uh, kneeling there, check out what the demons are shouting in sort of protest, you know, hey. Uh, now, can you imagine, this is like a seminary class for these guys to watch. They're learning something called demonology or angelology or the deity of Christ or eschatology is the study of last time events like the day of judgment, all with their mouths hanging open for sure, especially the part where Jesus wants him to identify himself. Now, first of all, they acknowledge that he's the son of the most high God, that he's equal to God in every way. They recognize the authority. Look at that. They recognize his authority and power as a judge to punish them. They know they deserve it. They know they expect it. And they're hoping to buy a little more time to do their dirty work work, as I mentioned. So they're saying, uh, in essence, you're a little ahead of schedule here. Judgment day, hell, the abyss, it's all kind of at the end of the age. Remember, Jesus? Now, the abyss of Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, is sort of a holding tank for these kind of uh, spiritual wicked beings. And so 
They believe in the Lord. They fear him. They have their theology right about who he is and the judgment to come. They've got more on the ball than some religious people. The problem is their hearts are disconnected and salvation is a heart thing, right? And so I've got, I mean, they say, have you come before the appointed day? They're talking the day of the Lord, the judgment day. I've got a few scriptures on what they're talking about because they know it's coming. They just don't want to go there yet. Acts chapter 17, for he has set a day. Now he, they called it an appointed day. So they're right about that. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, and we call him the God-man, that he has appointed, the appointed day. Wow. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Christ from the dead, Acts 17. And then in Malachi 4, a more graphic picture of Judgment Day. Surely the day is coming, Malachi says, chapter 4, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the gospel, the good news, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wing wings. In other words, it'll be a glorious day dawning to you, something you're looking forward to that's healing and reconciling and gives you your perfect body and restores you to who God has created you to be. It goes on. Uh, look at this. Sing for joy before the Lord, for he's coming to judge the earth. I guarantee you, Legion is not singing for joy because the Lord is coming. They're squealing with terror that the Lord is coming. So it depends on who you are and the condition of your heart, whether the second coming is going to be a thing to rejoice in or a thing to uh, be terrified of. It goes on to say, whoever, well, one of the scriptures here, I want you to get this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Joel chapter 2, he's talking about judgment day. And he, he ends it by saying, but whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved from judgment day. Why? Because Jesus was judged. And so when we stand, we've already connected with he was judged for our sins. And so there's nothing left to judge in us. There's nothing to, put to be put to shame about because that our shame was born by Christ. So he says again in Romans uh, chapter 10 and verse 13, quoting back to uh, the Judgment Day passage, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that's the gospel. They're afraid of Judgment Day because they know it's coming and they know they're going to be tormented. Um, but we are not. We're looking forward to it. We sing about it. Bring it, Lord Jesus. Bring Judgment Day. And we'll rejoice. Maranatha, amen. And so Luke chapter 8, I love it. I love this part. Uh, since they outed Jesus like, oh, he's the son of God, Jesus is going to return the favor now. And he's going to say, state your name for the record. Because he knows what's going on. He wants to expose them. And so he says, using the demons, using the lips and the voice of their host, says legion for we are many a legion had 6000 soldiers 
Scholars say we don't have to press it to 6,000. But the idea is with the 2,000 pigs that there are multiple thousands of demons residing in and on this dude. Now, what on earth did this man do to open his life to a legion of devils? His poor family and anybody who loved this man. One writer said this, Gentiles in Gadara were known for their detestable cultic practices. They called on these devils. They called on evil spirits. They called on them to empower them as they worshipped them with hideous ways, chanting incantations and ingesting hallucinogenics, opening their souls to unseen forces that ruled this present darkness. In this case, it seems that he got more than he bargained for. So Jesus is ready to make a move and free this man. And they sense that's coming. And so these demons with the ill-fated destiny have a request. They say, since you're going to cast us out, how about sending us into the swine? And they're begging, which shows the authority of the Son of God. Verse 32, Jesus grants permission to much of our surprise. And a lot of ink has been spilled to explain why Jesus answers the prayer, the request of these evil beings. The short answer is pretty simple. It serves his purposes. It serves his purposes. And what divine genius to use the evil one, his own enemy, to do his own work of redemption. If God has a good ultimate purpose and then he uses the enemy who hates him and hates people and wants to do bad and God says, actually, I'm going to use you right now to accomplish something good. What a sting. Oh, so when Satan comes before the throne and says, I want to mess with your boy, Job. And the same thing happens here. He says, go ahead, but I'm going to give you some boundaries that you will obey. Have at it. And now billions with a B of God's people have been carried through the worst tragedies in life only to be encouraged and supported by this wonderful experience. It turned out to be that even Job's life, the second half, was more blessed than before. And thank you very much for the malevolent forces that were used to bring about such a wonderful book in the Bible and a wonderful outcome for this man. Yes, some terrible tragedy but this is what this life is, it includes. But God had his way at turning something. I mean, Paul the apostle, he says, a messenger from hell, a messenger from Satan. Second Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I've got this problem. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's a thorn. It's in my side. And he called it a messenger of the devil to buffet him to train, to spar with him, to make him strong, to keep him from being conceited. So he says, actually, it's turned out, God says, my grace is sufficient. I'm working through this. It's actually good for you. You're writing scripture. You're having visions of heaven. 
You're you're exalted above and honored and privileged above most human beings that ever lived. Therefore, I'm going to allow this to, to ground you. It's a good thing. And so something malevolent, something bad and evil is turned around. But the best of all is when the demons are riling up the Good Friday crowds to crucify, crucify, crucify him. And they put it in the Jewish people, the leaders, crucify him, pluck his beard out, spit on him, mock him, nail him to that cross. And he's talking to Pilate, you know that. And he indwells Judas to do the deed. And then it boomerangs on the devil and is really the death and resurrection of our Lord is what conquers him forever and disarms him. So the very thing that he thinks he's getting away with and doing this evil, harming thing, God turns around to be the most wonderful, most advantageous. He could almost say, if the Lord would look at the devil, say, thank you for bringing redemption, helping me in my goal to redeem the planet. Because really, he was useful. Wow. And how you talk about burning in that place, that would burn worse than the fires to know that you bent on evil, hating God were actually used to serve him and his purposes. Well, how does that work here with the pigs? Well, let me give you three things or four things here. Number one, Warren Wiersbe, I like it. He said, oh, Jesus loved this idea because it it paints a picture and it sends the message that Satan will make any man into a pig. Think about it. You follow the devil and his promptings, you end up kind of like a pig. Now, also, until the death and resurrection of Jesus, they had kosher rules to abide by. So the pigs don't belong in Israel, even on the outskirts where they can have their little um, marketplace. So an easy way to end all of that is to end the black market bacon factory and uh, send them into bankruptcy. Uh, yeah. So some of you Gentiles don't know that Jews aren't allowed to eat pork products, okay? And so away they go. No more problems with temptation for a BLT. Now, number two... This action, and this is the real reason here, provided solid evidence for this man and those around him who know him to be an insane, demon-possessed man. They now know those demons are dealt with. They're out of him. They went into pigs visibly and are away. Now, how else would anybody ever know that they're gone? How else would this guy, a year from the exorcism, when he has a bad thought, when he has temptation because he's gonna, when he slips into sin because he's gonna, when he has a nightmare that's evil and he's gonna, how will he not think, are they back? Did it really happen or not? Now, forever, for the rest of his life, and those who would accuse him and label him a demoniac, they all know, they've seen it. They saw it go out screaming, into the pigs, down, away, forever buried under the waters of the lake there in Galilee. So that was quite a mercy 
for these men. Now, one thing you might not remember is, is that Jesus coming to the rescue of this man because he comes to the rescue of the man, then he gets back in the boat. Yes, they didn't want him there, but really he's on a mission for this man. God knows, perceives our thoughts from afar. He knew, and he was going to the other side to rescue this guy. And who tried to stop them? Well, the devil, because Jesus uses language only for the devil when he rebukes. You don't rebuke the wind. The re you rebuke the devil, which he had just done. So we're, we're told the storm that tried to get this drowned them in the lake. Jesus is saying in victorious victory, you tried to kill my boys. You tried to drown me and the boat underwater. Guess what? All of you. You're going to the bottom of the lake by my word. And so Jesus is the victor for sure. And he's not afraid to let them know, you lose, we win. One writer said, and there's no question in my mind that after the hogs could no longer host these foul spirits, having drowned in the lake, the spirits were forced to descend even deeper into that dreaded abyss where to await final sentencing where they still may reside to this day. And so the disciples are wowed. The man is delivered. The demons are schooled and gotten rid of. The Lord is glorified. But what about the townspeople, uh, the Gadarenes? What about the village there at Gadara? Let's uh, finish up by looking at this amazing aftermath here. You've got the scriptures there. Those tending the pigs ran off, told the whole story about the men, the possession, the pigs, the whole nine yards. And the town comes out and has an amazing reaction. Let's talk about that. In fact, there are two amazing things. There's really a lot of amazing things, but let's talk about two of them. One is the town's reaction. So the eyewitnesses, the ones who are keeping watch on the herd, the illegal herd of 2,000 swine, told the town the whole story, right? They didn't leave out one detail, right? About the pigs and the men, right? And so Lou Gate tells you, which I don't have there, says the crowds came from the town and they saw Jesus and the man sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and in his right mind. I think, to me, that is the most beautiful picture in the Bible above everything. For me, that picture of this once psychotic, demonized freak, like an animal, sitting in peace and calm, clothed, back with his dignity, back with his senses, speaking in his right mind. If anybody's in Christ, they're new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I just love that picture. And then in verse 34 of Matthew 8, uh, they plead with Jesus. Did they plead this? This is what I think they would plead. Uh, they plead with Jesus, don't hurry off. Don't get in that boat. Stay away from that boat. Stay a little longer. We have people in the town who are sick and needy among us. Our children need you, Lord. We need your help. We want to hear your words of love and life and hope. 
Nope. Here's what they say. Please leave. Please leave. Please leave to the Son of God, uh, the, the one who had the power to do this. What, what were they thinking? Well, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, we just lost a lot of money. All right? Uh, what other damages are we going to incur if we embrace you? If you stay any longer, what else are you going to tell us to get rid of? Right? That's a common unbeliever's uh, point of view, is they're more concerned about something that's not as valuable as their soul. In this case, they're more concerned about their income than their eternal life. Come on. There will be lots of people who perish because they, they cared more about the temporary than the eternal. So more concerned about the pig's demise than the man's healing. You know, about the pigs being drowned at Jesus' permission. Gratuitous cruelty to animals is prohibited in the Bible, but God values human life above animal life the animals are here to serve God's purposes and our needs as well. He provided the animals for us. Genesis 9, after the flood, it says, the fear and dread of you humans will fall on every living creature on the earth, every bird of the air, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, they are delivered into your hand. Every living creature will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you all things. So if you need a coat, if you need sandals, if you need to eat, you'll need some protein that's not found. God's thinking in plants alone per se, or he would not have given us animals. And so while we keep the order to be uh, kind or uh, respectful to our, our creatures around us, uh, there is a priority. So, you know, I just want to throw this in for free. Here, the people who get all up in arms about caging a chicken, they're okay with a third trimester abortion of a human baby. But if we take a cow or a chicken, you see... Now, I can respect somebody who has a conscience about that. That's fine. I can even understand that. But we have to have right priorities and not get bent out of shape when the Lord says, for this story, for the purposes of this man's life and the purposes of the word of God, uh, these pigs are going to be used in a way that honors uh, the intent of God. You see? So we have to have his perspective on things. I think the bottom line is they got all freaked out. Uh, they're afraid of the changes that repentance would bring. And so they asked God to uh, go on his way. And when I do say God, I didn't misspeak. The Lord Jesus is God. And they asked God to leave. And God will knock loudly. I mean, God will take the battering ram sometimes. I mean, he wants us to be saved. But when we reject him, and we ask him to leave over and over again when God knows, you know, he doesn't hang out where he's not welcome. And that's a scary thought. We always want to have a welcoming heart. Uh, the other thing that amazes me is the demons get a yes, but the man gets a no. 
because it's all about the purposes of God. And so he says, Jesus, oh man, let me go with you. I have this great testimony now, all right? You just give me the mic. You guys come into town. I'll go first, and I'll give my testimony. I'll make the, the noises and the sounds and the voices. Legion, for we are many, you know, whatever. You know, <clears throat> he says, come on. Lord, you've done so much for me. I just want to come on this adventurous journey with you, this mission with Jesus and all of this. And Jesus says, I want you to go home to your family. I want you to go home to mom and dad and tell them God has perhaps heard their prayers for their boy. Was there a brother who loved him, a sister who watched the demons destroy him, shackle him, and make him into something God never created to rob him of his dignity, to humiliate him, to strip him And now he's back at home, clothed and in his right mind. You, you, can you imagine the party and the glory to God that, that, that Jesus receives? So he says, you go back, because Christian living really starts in the home, man. It starts in the home. Go back and tell them your prayers. Thank your grandma for the prayers, because part of the reason I came and found you Part of the reason you had grace to run toward me was I was answering the faithful prayers of those who continued to pray for you, though you were under the power of the evil one. And because of their prayers, you're set free. I want you to go back and minister to them and tell them of all the wonderful things God has done for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you that greater are you who lives in us than he who lives in the world, the evil one. Thank you, God, that you have the authority so we know you are good to lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because you have the power. You have the glory. It's your kingdom forever and ever. We look to you, God. Change our hearts about help us associate sin and lies and darkness of any kind with the heart of this murderous spirit called the devil, lest we inflict harm upon ourselves and those who love us so much and depend on us. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light, to stay close to you and your word, and to put to death the misdeeds of the body that we might enjoy life in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 